God, we thank you for the worship this morning. Already we begin to really think about and focus our minds and uh, prepare ourselves for Easter. And we pray, God, that in this Lenten season, as we think about hearing from you and listening to you and growing in you, that you would speak to us again this morning. Uh, With this we ask for the sake of and in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Last week, we started a little series called The Power of a Word, and we talked about the word no. And uh, we talked about how we need to use this word and wield it kind of like a surgeon wields a scalpel to make room for God in our lives, especially as we prepare for Easter, wanting to hear from God. We talked about saying no to messages like you are what you have, you know, it's a lie of the devil, frankly. Or the message, you are what you do, you know, whatever you accomplish, whatever position or authority or power you have uh, in that place of work that you go to, whether that's in the home or in the marketplace, you know, you are what you do. Or another lie was you are what people think of you. Those three lies kind of represent the temptations that Jesus faces when he goes into the wilderness and the devil comes to tempt Jesus and offered some practical tools that could uh, help us that we could use in order to say no to those kinds of temptations. And we talked about tools like giving uh, to break that whole lie of you are what you have. And we talked about fasting. And I know some of you uh, have been uh, endeavoring to fast and you've let me know that. I appreciate that. We talked about Sabbath, the importance of having a rhythm, uh, whether it's in a day or whether it's in the course of a week where we are very deliberate about prioritizing, giving ourselves to God, listening to God, worshiping God. Uh, and then we talked about a willingness to disappoint people. Amen? Uh, that was, uh, you know, whenever you must, when you come to one of those crossroads where it's honor God or, you know, delight this person. You know, follow Jesus or don't follow Jesus. Enjoy God, live in fellowship with God or go down a different path. And I said, be willing to disappoint people when you find yourself in a circumstance like that. Now, no is a vitally important word that we need to use to make room for God in our lives, but man does not live on no alone. See what I did there? Yeah, if you were here last week, you might appreciate that. Fact of the matter is, we're really made for yes. That's what we're really made for. Um, And that is our word for today, yes. When you love somebody, part of what happens is you really enjoy getting to say yes to somebody that you love. If a parent and a child relationship's working well, and many of you have experienced this, when a child comes to you or comes to the parent and says, can I go on this adventure or something and you just loves to say yes? Or they say, can I have permission to do this or do that? Or can we do this together? Can I have this thing that my heart desires so deeply? And a parent loving their child just loves to say yes in a circumstance like that. Now, you might have to say no once in a while. That's the truth of it. But still, nothing feels better than getting to say yes to someone that you love. If a friend comes to you and asks, could we spend some time together? You love to say yes. Uh, If a friend says, could I tell you a secret I've never told anybody else and I just, I kind of need to unburden myself. And you love to be able to say yes to a friend like that. When you fall in love with somebody and there's romantic love, oh my goodness, what a great time. I still remember the first time I asked a girl if I could kiss her and she said yes. Wow, 
Wow, what an experience that was. That made our honeymoon so much better. Yeah. You know, there is a sense. I'll just leave that lay there. But, <laughs> I thought of something I could say, but not, not in church. You know, so. There is a sense in which we all carry a yes or a no in our hearts for other people. We do this all the time without even trying. Uh, we feel this as we relate to each other, as we relate to other people. When there is somebody who has a yes in their heart for you, I mean, they love to encourage you. And they love to see you grow. And they, they just love to see you soar and soar high. They believe in you. They see the best in you. They'll, they will confront you at times simply because they do love you and they do care about you. They will challenge you, maybe even in some painful ways if that's what you need. But it's precisely because they love you so much, they want you to be the very best you that you can be. Now, on the other hand, we all know what it's like to have somebody who carries a big giant no in their heart for us. A teacher, a boss, a coworker, a fellow student. And when we run into these kinds of people, it almost wounds us. It, it wounds our heart. Uh, when there's somebody with a no in their heart toward you, it's like they, they love to criticize you. They love to find fault. They want to rain on your parade if you happen to be in one. They actually don't want you to soar. In fact, they expect you to fail. And when you do fail, they kind of like that. They feel better watching you fail. And we communicate this to each other all the time. Yes or no. Whether we intend to do it or not, we do it in all kinds of subtle ways. So this leads to a question that we all have to answer. And in fact, we all do answer, whether consciously or uh, subconsciously. And the question is this, do you think God's heart for you is a yes or a no? Uh, it's a really basic question. And your answer to that question, you know what? It colors everything, everything about you, how you live, the posture with which you enter into life. You see, if there is a God, is he fundamentally for you? I mean, is he a yes or is he against you? Is his heart no? toward you? Is he a finger-wagging, head-shaking, disappointed-in-you God of no? Some people believe that. Now, that concern lies behind one of the great statements, I think, not just in the Bible, but in all of human literature, in fact, all of human thought. There's a man, uh, Paul the Apostle, and he is in a relationship with a church called Corinth, which is near the southern end of the peninsula that we uh, refer to as Greece. And this church is not quite sure what Paul's heart is toward them. He had written them a pretty stinging letter. It's what we call today 1 Corinthians. Uh, if you've ever read it, it's pretty painful. Paul has to address a, a lot of sinful dysfunction going on in the community. And uh, he had planned to go visit them in order to sit down with them and correct some of these things. And then he had to change his plans in the process. Consequently, they're kind of left wondering, well, is Paul fickle? I mean, does he say one thing and do another? Is he a yes or is he a no for us? And it's into that kind of context or situation that the Apostle Paul writes them about this directly. Uh, but not to ground it in, in his character, 
But actually what he wants to say to them is that their relationship back and forth with each other ought to be grounded in the character and in the heart of God. And this is what he writes to them. He says, but as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, and here's the big statement, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ Jesus. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. That's interesting. For no matter how many promises God has made, he says, how many promises has God made? By one count, there's over 7,457 promises made to us in the Bible. I don't know if that's accurate, and I'm not going to check it, but that's uh, what somebody counted. And Paul does not say, you know what, a lot of them are yes, or some of them are yes, or many of them are yes, or even most of them are yes. What he says to us is that every one of those promises, however many there are, those promises are yes to us in Christ. And friends, here's the point. God has a yes, a huge, giant, all caps, yes, for you in his heart. And I don't care what your life is like right now. I don't care about what your circumstances might happen to be or have been. Your mother may have said no. Your father may have said no to you. Your kids may be saying no to you. Your boss, your therapist, your coach may be saying no. The IRS, your dog, your cat, a college may have said no to you. That job, that company may say no. That guy, that girl may say no. But all of God's promises, all 7,547 are yes in Christ Jesus. God, will you save me? Yes. God, will you forgive me? Yes. God, will you cleanse me? Yes. God, will you give me a new start? Yes. Will you give me a new day? Yes. God, will you give me strength? You bet. God, will you give me guidance? Yes. God, will you give me wisdom because I don't know what to do? Yes. God, will you give me the ability to forgive this person and triumph over the resentment that I feel in my heart? Yes, I'll do that. God, will you be with me every day of my life until I die? Yes, yes, yes. God, after I die, will you resurrect me? Yes. God, will you make me a part of a tremendously creative team effort under amazing leadership, working on inconceivably vast projects with ever-increasing cycles of productivity and enjoyment and satisfaction? And God says, yes, 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 yes. All God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus. And that's the yes you and I are invited to live in every single day. And it's a... It's a staggering uh, statement of the significance of Jesus, if you think about this, because the Apostle Paul, a Jewish man, is writing this statement here in 2 Corinthians. And as a Jewish man, Paul had been taught from infancy to believe in but one God and one God only. And yet here he says that there is this man, Jesus Christ, and this man's significance, this man's life, this man's teaching and death and resurrection are something so cosmically significant that all of the promises of God find their yes in him. That's remarkable. 
there's an old hymn, a few of you will know it. Uh, it's called Standing on the Promises. Actually, I think the whole title is Standing on the Promises of Christ my King. And the idea is this, the idea is that all of us stand on something. It's, it's what it means, frankly, to be a human. Uh, you cannot root your life in your own sufficiency because you're not in control and you're not sufficient. I mean, you don't control the weather or the economy. You don't control the political scene. You don't control your spouse. You don't control your friends. You don't control your teachers. You don't control your kids. And if the truth be told, you don't even control yourself very well. And you by yourself are not a sufficient foundation for life. Truth is, we all stand on uh, what we think is ultimately real. And a lot of really bright people are standing only on what they can see and on what they can touch and on what they can feel. And they tell us to be happy. They tell us to have a positive mental attitude. You know, life is good. And they would say, probably going to get gooder, you know. And I would say, really? Says who? What are you basing that on? I was one of the five or six people who watched the Oscars a week ago. And uh, I saw an industry that was and is rife with sexual abuse and sexual exploitation and sexual discrimination. I mean, is there an industry uh, that has more of that going on than the entertainment industry? And I watched that industry pretend that they are now the new moral compass of a new day, that all is different now and all has changed and that all of those things will be better. But I didn't hear a bit of honesty or real ownership regarding the depth of depravity that exists right in the middle of that industry. And it left me wondering, well, what new foundation are they standing on? Why are things going to be so different now, I wondered? Because people aren't different. Uh, it, I kind of felt like for four hours they were just trying to psych themselves up into having a positive mental attitude. But we all know how deep that goes and how well that works. When something really bad happens, when there's a kind of a train wreck or a disaster or a new revelation of yet another abuse or a loss that a positive mental attitude cannot overcome and make go away, then what do you do? Where do you stand? You know, the Apostle Paul knew all about human depravity, his own and other people's as well. He knew all about suffering and loss. He knew about human abuse. He knew about disappointment. Uh, he had been in prison a number of times. Uh, he had several times faced martyrdom. And if you know the history of the Apostle Paul's life, eventually he was martyred. And yet he said these words, all God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus. Despite his imprisonments, despite the beatings, despite the stoning that he endured, despite his hardships, he knew that God had a yes for him. And he could live in that yes, despite his circumstances. He was going to embrace the 7,457 promises that are yes to us in Jesus. Paul says that they are all going to come true for him for me, and for you, because of Jesus. That is the foundation upon which we stand. God's yes for us. That's where we stand. Now, interestingly, Paul in that passage that we read mentions a second yes. And it's kind of interesting. I don't know if you noticed it. He says, and so 
through him, that is through Jesus, the amen is spoken. Uh, And now this is not being spoken by God, but by us to the glory of God, he says. The amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. That's the second yes. Uh, There's the yes that God says to us, and it's a great big capital yes. Uh, And then there's a yes that you and I say back to God. And Paul introduces the second word for yes here. The first one he uses is kind of this, the regular old Greek nondescript word, nay. Uh, Yes, it's a positive affirmation. But for our yes being given back to God, Paul uses a different word. It's actually got a Hebrew root to it, and it's the word amen. It's a positive affirmation, but it's kind of like a positive affirmation on steroids. Now, unfortunately, in our day, a lot of you will know this, but this word amen has become a churchy word, kind of a pious word, maybe even a cliche kind of word. Uh, People sometimes even get tired of it. Uh, That's not the way it would have sounded, not in Paul's day. In Israel, they loved this word. Again, this was yes on steroids, right? Uh, It wasn't just an affirmation. Uh, In fact, you could translate it, and sometimes it is translated this way. So be it, you know. Or it could be translated, that's the way we want it. Or it could even be translated, yeah, I'm really down with that, you know. Dallas Willard, one of, an author that I love and have appreciated his writings over the years, he says you could translate it, whoopee! That's what he says. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Whoopee! You know, I think he's right. And uh, in Israel, they loved this word. Uh, often in old Baptist churches, you have a little section in the church called the Amen Corner. We're kind of developing one right here. <laughs> This was for people who would get so fired up about how good God was, they just couldn't hold it in, you know, and so it would kind of bubble out and burst out once in a while, and they would say amen, or that's the way we want it, or I'm down with that, or whoopee, you know, kind of a thing. Most of us here, though, come from that Presbyterian background, and so there's not much of an amen corner, at least we we want to avoid that corner, right, and we're more like a high-class auction, we raise an eyebrow, (laughs) Subtle nod, whatever, you know, I'm down with that, you know. <laughs> but back in Paul's day, the word amen, it was a fabulous word. And, and what he says is that because all God's promises are yes in Jesus to us, well, therefore, we can make our lives a great big yes back to God. And that's really what it's all about. Living our lives in such a way that they are an amen. They're a so let it be. They're a whoopee, you know, back to God. That's our calling. And what I want to do with the time that we have left, friends, is just kind of walk us through some ways to do that, ways for us to say yes to God between now and Easter as we're preparing ourselves for that huge celebration. Um, You know, mostly the fact of the matter is God cares about people. God loves people more than anything else. And he has placed us in this world And he has said yes to us. If you follow Jesus, there's a great big giant yes being spoken over you by God. But that yes is not primarily just for our sakes. You see, we are to be conduits of that yes, conduits of God's love and God's power and God's goodness to other people. That's kind of our calling. That's what it's all about. 
Uh, this is a strange thing about human relationships. Every time you are with somebody, whether you realize it or not, you're giving them a little yes or a little no. You're either willing them good and blessing, you're sending that vibe overtly or uh, not overtly to them, and that's a yes. The reverse of that is also true. You know, if you're grumpy, if you're all honed in on yourself, if you're irritated at them, uh, you're actually sending them that vibe, and it's a, it's a bad vibe. It's a no, and they feel it. They discern it. And so the question is, how do I make my life a yes for God and for other people? What could that look like, practically speaking? Dallas Willard, in a book of his called Renovation of the Heart, writes these words. These are great words. This is a very wise, very godly man who has gone to be with the Lord recently. And I imagine this is one of Jesus' favorite statements that Dallas Willard ever wrote. He says, every contact with a human being should be one of goodwill and respect. Woo! With a readiness to acknowledge and make way for or assist the other in suitable ways. What an insight. What graciousness. I mean, I think Dallas Willard nails it here. He is exactly right. That is God's plan for our lives here on earth as we interact with each other. Because fact of the matter is, there's no such thing as a neutral interaction with other people. Now, I think there are neutral interactions. I act that way all the time. But when I'm sober, and as a pastor, that's occasionally, <laughs> I know better. I know that there really aren't any chance encounters um, there's no such thing as an encounter that you have with somebody else in which God is not interested. You see, every contact with the human being should be one of goodwill and respect with a readiness to acknowledge and make way for or assist the other in suitable ways. And man, when we do that, we're saying yes to people. Now, Again, this is a, another week in the process of us getting ready for Easter. And as we go through this Lenten season, I'm, I'm wanting to challenge all of us, myself included, to, to practice saying yes to other people, obviously with God's help. If you're like me, you're going to need God's help and a lot of it to do this. Well, that first way that Dallas Willard mentions is the yes of goodwill. Now, again, at the core of you, of course, is your will, this decision-making ability that we all have. And your will should be to will the good of every single person. I wish I always did that. The Bible actually talks about this a lot. Paul commands the church at Thessalonica, another church there on, the, on that peninsula. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. They were actually doing that with each other. Did you know that all the time you're either building somebody up or you're tearing them down in little ways? You're doing that with your words or your facial expressions or your body language. It's all the time. You can't help it. You know, my mom in my life, she's passed away now, but my mom was a huge encourager in my life. I mean, there was lots of insecurities growing up and, you know, she would encourage me, go ahead, try out for the baseball team and and uh, lo and behold, I've made the baseball team. And, and then uh, next thing you know, I'm playing third base. And that's a long throw over there to first base. I hated playing third base because you always had these 
You have these long throws to make when the balls would be hitting to you, you know, hit to you, and you didn't want to screw it up and drop the ball or make a bad throw. And once in a while I would. My mom would say, oh, it doesn't matter. It's okay. You'll get it next time. Same thing in basketball. Played basketball in, in uh, middle school and high school. Mom was my greatest encourager, my greatest fan. I don't think she ever saw me do anything wrong, even when I was doing things wrong uh, out there on the court. Always encouraging. When it was time to go to college, I hadn't studied at all in high school. I didn't become a Christian until near the end of my high school experience, and so I had a GPA that was notorious. And then I suddenly realized, you know what? I, I kind of like to go to college. I kind of like to learn something since I squandered the last four years and uh, started applying to colleges, and I got one no after another. It became pretty clear I wasn't going to go to college, not short of some miracle. And then the miracle came. Mom kept telling me, don't worry, somebody will take you. (laughs) And they did. Point is, she just always believed in me, always did. She came and heard me preach my, uh, my first sermon in a church after I was ordained. It was an awful sermon. My mom thought it was great. Kept that cassette tape. You remember what cassette tapes are? Yeah. Kept that cassette tape and uh, had it even when she died. I don't know if she ever listened to it, but she had the tape. (laughs) She was always encouraging me. And the point is just this. You have people in your life, too, at home, or maybe it's at work, or maybe it's at school, And they encourage you. But, you know, we're supposed to take that encouragement, that giant yes that they they convey to us, and we're supposed to turn that around and convey that back to others. When you're at home or at work or at school and you see people who are discouraged, you can be God's yes to them. You can come alongside them. You can listen to them. That in and of itself a lot of times is encouragement. You can breathe life into them, or you can challenge them if that's what is needed. But we're supposed to be that kind of yes in the lives of the people around us. There's going to be somebody in your home, uh, something's going on, maybe nobody else will have even been aware of it, and they will have had a bad day or a bad uh, interaction or a rejection of some sort, and you can listen, you can be there, and you can care for them, and you can be God's giant yes to them. There's going to be somebody here in our church, people who go to church, you know, have awful things going on in their lives. People are not what they seem at church. Um, People are suffering loss or they've been through a divorce or they're carrying around some terrible guilt or something that's just racking and tearing them up inside and or they have big financial problems and they don't know what to do. They don't know if it's okay to tell anybody because everybody at church looks like they've got it together and they sneak into church and they sit there and then they get up and they're ready just to shoot out the door and leave again. And you could be the person who just kind of looks them in the eye, makes a moment's connection, a greeting, asks them how they're doing and you could make a difference in their life. Could even be the start of a friendship. You get in a car with an Uber driver, right? And it's obvious they're not having a great day. Ask them a question. How's your day going? There's somebody behind the counter at a grocery store. This is where I'm just notorious. I, for some reason, always look at that grocery store experience as a race. You know, who can get through the line the fastest wins, you know? And so I don't notice people. And I've been very convicted about this. But when you go through the grocery line, notice someone. Compliment them. 
Connect with them, Dwayne. You can do this. And when you do, that's a small way of saying yes to them, encouraging them. It's the yes of goodwill. Uh, we're to be people whose wills have been remade by God so that we walk through life with a will that radiates God's goodness toward other people. That makes us a blessing to everyone, whether they believe in God or not. And who knows what doors it opens up for friendship, for connection, for encouragement. That's the first yes. The second yes is the yes of acknowledging people. Uh, this is somewhat similar, but very, very important. Paul writes the to the church at Rome, and he says this. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. So if you'd stand up, we're just going to do that now. <laughs> uh, no, the, the point is this. Paul wanted people to greet one another. And I think the bigger point is to acknowledge each other, notice each other. Uh, you know, and boy, I, I go through a lot of my life just not noticing people, even walling them out. You know, you walk down a street, a sidewalk, uh, you roam the halls at work or school. Uh, Paul would say, notice the people around you. Notice them. Greet them, acknowledge them, look them in the eye, and let them know with your words, with your face, with your body language, that they are actually welcomed into your life. They matter. When you do that, that's a yes. People sense it, people feel it, people read it. You either do that or you look down and you avoid eye contact, you say nothing, and in so doing, you're shutting them out. It's one or the other. I know how easy it is to do this. I'm an introvert, and so I can get in my own little world and stay there and just, you know, wall people out, just ignore them, right? Uh, when we do that, though, it's really a no. It's not a big no, but it's a small way of injecting no into another person's life. Paul says in this community called the church, we are to greet each other. We are to look at each other. We are to be gracious to each other. We are to acknowledge each other. You know, when you come here, look around. Don't just be inside yourself. Don't let people sit alone, ungreeted, unwelcomed, unengaged. This Lenten season, getting ready for Easter, make it a practice to acknowledge people. Hey, how are you? Hi, good to see you. Yeah, I know, that's not deep. I know. But it still conveys a message of hospitality, of greeting, of welcome. Especially extend that to people that nobody else is acknowledging. Go out of your way. That's the yes of acknowledging. You know, we have a small group here in the church that recently decided they wanted to do something about folks that you see who stand on the street and they have those signs, you know, they're unemployed and they're looking for a few bucks. Uh, but a lot of times, you know, I get it. We're torn. Gosh, how will they use that money? Should I give them money? What should I do? And this small group in our church decided they were going to put packets together with everything from toiletries to items in there that they could use. And so in that way, they're not ignoring. They're not, you know, what, what do you do when you pull up to one of those stoplights or whatever and there's, there's somebody and they've got one of those signs? What do you do? You try to avoid looking at them, right? Unless they're not looking at you. And then you're looking at them like this. No, oh, now they're <laughs> looking back, you know. But you don't want to look at them. You, want, you do not want to acknowledge them. Well, I, I really hands, take my hat off and give applause to a small group that says, you know what, we're going to acknowledge them. We're going to notice them. We're not going to give money. That's not to say that they maybe don't. Maybe there's a $50 bill in there. I don't know. But, they, but they're, they're, they're acknowledging them and they're connecting just briefly. 
Great thing to do. Great thing to do. Well, that's the yes of acknowledgement. There's another one, the yes of making way. I hate this one. You know, we live in a world where people just want to make their own way. Paul said this to the church of Philippi. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Oh, come on, Paul. Whoa, is that fair? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, he says, consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Again, this is small, but make way for people. That's the way Dallas Willard phrased it. Make way for people. Be courteous, be gracious, put others before you. How many of you have ever had this experience? You're on a plane, and the plane has landed, and it's taxiing in, you know, to the, uh, to the um, terminal. And when the plane comes to a halt, there's that moment, and then there's a little noise that goes on. It's kind of a bing, you know. Man, everybody rockets up out of their seat like they're going somewhere, you know, and you're getting your bags out of there and you want to get out into the hall before that old lady gets in front of you. And, you know, here I go and I'm going to get off before her. And it's like animals, right? I know it's Pavlov dog kind of response almost, right? What would happen if you just turned that whole thing around? I mean, anybody, even the ones way in front of you are only going to be 10 seconds ahead of you, right? You can run by them in the terminal once you get there. (laughs) But I mean, what if you were just courteous? What if you were just gracious? What if you helped somebody get a bag out of that overhead and just handed it to them and said, you know what, you go ahead. Now the people behind you closer to the window are going to hate your guts. (laughs) But you're willing to disappoint people right? For Jesus' sake. Uh, In the grocery line, this is my big one. You know, just let others go in front. You know, lose the race, I tell myself. Or at the gas pump. There's a gas pump that I go to, and it's always full. It's always crowded, and you're jockeying for a position. And I'm always tempted to just kind of nudge my car up into somebody else's and push it out of the way, you know, kind of a thing. Or the post office. Oh, that's a horrible one or the traffic jam or in a parking lot. Let somebody else have a, you know, practice making way for others. That's practicing humility. And that in a very small way is saying yes to somebody. And it's the yes of, you know what? You go ahead and go first. I want to honor you. I want to acknowledge you. I'm going to let you go first. Then there's the yes that Dallas Willard mentions of assisting. That's the yes of serving somebody. It's a little bigger, a little more commitment involved. Uh, This was actually kind of the signature move of the early church. This is what made the early church so great. They would see needs and people would surrender things. You know the story of Barnabas and others would, you know, they would see a need. They would sell of their possessions so that other people's needs could get met. Remarkable, gracious, giving people. Paul said this, you, my brothers, We're called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. It's the marquee, or supposed to be, of the church. Uh, So many of you do serve in this church, for which we're thankful. One person I know, uh, you know, when you come in, there's flowers out at the sidewalk out there. And... uh, This person just comes to the church, nourishes and nurtures flowers so that when you walk in, you have something attractive to look at. And the same person serves like a, just a champ down with the children. In fact, 
down there. She's loved. It's almost a, a grandmother figure there, and everybody just loves her. There are several people from Deer Creek who go down to Baker neighborhood, and they tutor with third story, and they, they've done that religiously for a long time. They're just devoted to tutoring children who are behind. Uh, we have 20 or so volunteers who volunteer with our middle school and high school ministry every single week. They are faithfully and diligently there just to serve your kids. Uh, we have one person who comes to Deer Creek Church every week, and uh, she just comes in actually several times a week and just does stuff. I mean, just connects with Tim. Tim, what do you want me to do? And Tim makes her do awful things, but... Uh, <laughs> She's just a servant. And then every Sunday, even this morning, right, there are people who show up early on daylight savings, you know, the change. They show up extra early before you got here to make you coffee and to be here to greet you and to us you, you know, help seat you and things like that. <laughs> and uh, to man info tables. They, they show up here early just to serve you to show you hospitality. When you go to work, here's a great context. Our world has enough people who work with a giant no on their chest. Am I right? Just no. Just shut up. Get your work done. Do not bother me. No. How life-giving it is when you encounter someone in the workplace with a giant yes on their chest. And they're just yes toward you. They actually raise your spirits. I was at Costco recently. I hate Costco. <laughs> not, not lying, I hate Costco. Place was packed with people all cramming these little sample foods into their mouth. Yuck! There was a young man standing there. Uh, I come to find out he worked with Direct TV. I hate Direct TV. <laughs> he worked for Direct TV. And uh, we started chatting because he was just standing there and I was just. Standing there, Holly was lost in the bowels of Costco somewhere. <laughs> and this young man was extremely engaging, extremely friendly and genuine. And we talked about his life. He just recently moved to Colorado. He'd only been here for a few weeks. He had moved here from Florida because he was going to work for DirecTV. And next thing I know, I'm signing up for DirecTV. <laughs> Did I mention I hate DirecTV? And now I have it. I still hate it, but this guy... There was something contagious about this young man. Uh, he, he went to work with a giant yes on his chest for people. I think he would have been that way regardless whether I had signed up for direct TV. But the point is this, when you go to work, whether it's volunteer work, whether it's for money or what have you, whether it's working for the awful organization of direct TV, whether you think you have a really important job or not, Paul says, do you understand that you're working for God? If you follow Jesus, you're working for God. Do you get that? That God sees what you're doing and God delights in it when you do it well. And when you work with others with a giant yes on your chest. The apostle Paul said this, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing uh, move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. And he doesn't mean work in a church. He means whatever work you do, because whatever work you do is work for the Lord. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen? 
One last yes. This one's an all-encompassing yes. This is a, a, a yes to God and a great yes to the people around you. And it's the yes of joy. Living in the place of joy. You see, we're invited into this not because our circumstances are good. Not because you're smart or you're rich or you're young or you're untouched by suffering or cancer or sorrow, but because all God's promises are yes in Christ to you. This is why we can choose to live in the yes of joy. You see, that's the reality in which a Jesus follower lives. It's the ground upon which we stand, standing on the promises. All God's promises are yes in Christ. Amen? Whoopee? Yeah. In the Old Testament, there is a, a story of King David bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem. It's in 2 Samuel. And there we read these words, that as the Ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, this is David's wife, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. What's happening here is that you, you have in this Old Testament setting that the, 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 symbol, the, the symbolic presence of God marching into the city of Jerusalem. It's the Ark of the Covenant, you see. The presence of God is coming. It's just like, you know, fast forward many years from there. Uh, it's just like when Jesus entered the city, the holy city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, right? And people are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord and so. And it's the same kind of a thing. The presence of God, Jesus, is coming into the city. And, and, and in, in Jesus, of course, God has come and is so close to you and me. He's as close as the air we breathe. That's how real Jesus' presence is. And I can respond in one of two ways. I can respond to the presence of God with a, with a huge yes or a no. You know, I could be David and I could dance or I could be Michael and I could despise. And here's my question. Why, why not dance, friends? Why not choose to be a person of joy and celebration and gratitude regardless of the circumstances in my life? I mean, your circumstances may be great. They may be difficult. Uh, you, you see, you have just one life here. Your life goes on afterwards. But here you have just one life and all of God's promises are yes in Jesus to you if you follow him. So why not dance? I'll give you a picture of somebody who danced that impacted me then and still impacts me now. We had a couple here in church, Michael and Wendy Tarbox. Some of you know you knew Michael. Michael died in September 2015. He had a brain tumor that he then had a surgery on and then got a, you know, hey, everything looks good, but that brain tumor came back and, and doctors were, the prognosis was, you're, you're gonna die, Michael. Not sure just how long you have. It's a matter of months, they told him. And Michael sat down after all that and in the midst of all that and he, he wrote some goals for himself. <laughs> a lot of people would just be wanting to give up. Michael didn't. He wrote some goals for himself, and he carried these around with him in his wallet. Here were his goals. He shared these with me. I actually saw the copy in his wallet. Honor God, he said. Live responsibly. To him, that meant don't go around whining all the time. Oh, let me tell you about my brain tumor surgery. Uh, it, it just meant live responsibly. You know, Take charge for what's yours. Do what you can do. Uh, 
And then he said, embrace every day without worry, with enjoyment and anticipation. Michael danced. And then he died. And I bet he's dancing right now. Why don't we dance? You know, between now and Easter, why don't you write, this is one way to do it, why don't you write the word yes, a great big yes on a card. Put it on your bathroom mirror or next to your you know, bed on the nightstand or something. Point is just to remind yourself that regardless what's going on in your life, when you wake up, why don't you just say yes to people, yes to life, yes to your work, yes to God, yes to whatever's coming. You see, that's dancing. And you see, we do not do this because it's a good thing to have a positive mental attitude. Although it is. And we do this not because it makes things pleasant or more pleasant for us, although it does. And we do this not because our circumstances are great, because maybe our circumstances aren't great. We do this because God has made 7,457 promises, and every single one of them are yes in Christ Jesus. Every single one of them finds their fulfillment in what Jesus taught and in how Jesus lived and in how he died and came back from the dead. Every single one of these promises was signed, sealed, and delivered on the third day. And that is why we say yes to God, and that, friends, is why we dance. There's no other reason. And that's why the Bible ends the way it does. A lot of people have never read the final words that you find in the Bible. The last book of the Bible is the book of Revelation. They're glorious words, and there's a, there's a reason why the Bible ends the way it ends. This is the Apostle John, and he's actually been exiled to an island in Patmos. He's been cut off, really, from the people he loves and the people he wants to serve and the people he could be leading. He's on Patmos. And he writes these words. He says, he who testifies to these things, all the things in the book of Revelation, but really all the things in the book we call the Bible, and that's Jesus, of course. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. And that word soon is interesting. You know, if you're suffering or if you're in a difficult place of struggle right now, I understand how that seems not so soon. But in light of eternity, in the eyes of God, the, the delay between when Jesus was here and will come again is but a blink of an eye. Jesus says, yes, I am coming soon. And our response, John the apostle says, is amen. That's another yes. Amen, come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. And then it ends with a yes, amen. amen. That's how the book ends. Let it be so. Yes. Whoopee! <laughs> That's the way the book ends. And so this week for Lent, say yes. When you wake up tomorrow, when you see people, when you go to work, when you rest or you laugh or you cry, as you live, as you go to school, make every moment a great big giant yes and amen. Let it be so, a whoopee to God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Pray with me.
Whatever you have in your heart, if it's joy and gratitude, give that to the Lord. If it's disappointment, if it's woundedness, if it's a heartache, if it's a hurt, if it's a loss, would you bring that to God right now? And my prayer would be that you would hear God's huge, giant yes over you. Be immersed in that yes, the yes that God has for you. He says, I love you. He says, I am delighted that you are living. He says, I thought you up. Don't you know that? I made you just the way you are. I love you just the way you are. My son died on a cross for you, so one day you will be just the way I designed you to be. And God, we say to you now, our great yes back to you. God, we will go where you want us to go and we will do what you want us to do. We will give what you want us to give. We will be who you want us to be with your power and your help. God, when we wake up and when we go to sleep, we offer you now our words, our actions, our lives. We say, yes, God, let it be so. Whoopee. And everybody who agreed with this prayer said, amen. Amen.